Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Councilmember Tony Heil from Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and today I'm excited to talk to another council member from Baltimore, Maryland, which isn't too far. I could drive there. Um, Zeke Cohen. We're going to be talking about Baltimore. Uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to run for office and hopefully why you should, too. I encourage you, if you're listening, to go back and find episodes from all 50 states plus D.C., including an episode from the Baltimore area before uh, with Robin Lewis, delegate. And I think you will find many reasons why you should run for any office out there and make sure your voice and your ideas are heard. But today I'm really excited to talk to Zeke because I think we share a lot of the same perspective, but your job is a lot harder than mine in Baltimore than it is in Bridgeport. So, Zeke, thank you for talking today. Honored to be with you. Thanks, Tony. Um, I was, everyone talks about Baltimore when they're not from there. It seems like a place that a lot of politicians like to pick on when they're not, well, especially certain politicians. That's what I've learned. But tell me a little bit about why Baltimore is so great. Yeah, so I like to say that I did not grow up in Baltimore, but the city adopted me. Mm -hmm. I came here for college and I absolutely fell in love with it. It has just an incredibly rich and complicated history. It it was really sort of the birthplace of the Civil War, the war, you know, many, um, it's where Frederick Douglass lived for a while and then escaped to freedom. Um, We've had an incredible cultural art, jazz, music scene. Um, It is a, post-industrial, hard-scrabble town, but fundamentally it's a place with a ton of heart and just beautiful communities, amazing people, a lot of pain, a Mm -hmm. lot of trauma, a lot of violence, deep history of racism and white supremacy, but so many people who are fighting for the city and who love it here and who are willing to do whatever they can to make Baltimore a better place. And so, like I said, you know, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, but I came here and this city just wrapped its arms around me as a public school teacher, as a nonprofit director, and now as a city councilman. And it's where I'm proud to be raising my two kids and will spend the rest of my life. And I, I absolutely love it here. And also incredible food. So anyone who's thinking about just doing a trip, um, best crab cakes in the world, burgeoning foodie scene. Mm -hmm. So cannot recommend enough. Baltimore is the spot to be. Well, Baltimore is, in addition to the food and the views and the layout of the city and the history, it is very much the people. Um, You are one of those people. And it sounds like from your profile, from your, your family's involvement and and things and awareness. Were you always very politically minded and aware, even growing up? Yes. I had a mother who marched for civil rights, um, in, uh, was part of the Mississippi freedom summer, did a tremendous amount of work to protest the Vietnam war. Um, and really raised my brother and I on this idea of tukun olam, that to Jewish folks means to heal the world, that we are all interconnected and that we 
have an obligation not to ourselves but to the broader community that we live in and and the country and the world and so you know i grew up on politics um i grew up on protest and i grew up in a family that really nurtured my own desire to make a difference uh, you know i didn't really know i want to go into elective office for a while but always knew i wanted to be in some kind of public service and it's why i'm really glad to be in the city and to get to serve in the capacity i get to serve in now i'm not jewish myself uh, but that's something from my involvement in politics and meeting so many people who have a an outlook like you. Um, I find that something very beautiful about people of differing faiths, but especially what you just said about um, you know how many people in the Jewish tradition have that perspective, and I think that it seems very common in progressive circles, and I think kind of maybe gets swept under the rug when we talk about civil rights and other things. Um, just how prominent many Jewish um, activists have been in all of these issues for decades or longer. Yeah, no, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proud tradition um, in terms of the Jewish community and the civil rights struggle. It's also a complicated one. Mm-hmm. You know, in this city, you know, there, there have been moments of deep cultural connection particularly between the Jewish and black communities. And there's been moments where that relationship has frayed. Um, recently, unfortunately in my district, we had a number of swastikas placed all over Southeast. Um, and you know, as we're seeing sadly in so many parts of the United States and in Europe, this sort of rise to fascism, um, neo-fascism mm-hmm. or the alt-right, um, you know, we've seen that locally for us too. And that's obviously really painful. What was hopeful for me though, was that we did a vigil against it. And there was just this incredible outpouring of support and love from black community, the Muslim community, Christian community, Jewish community, um, our immigrant community, everybody standing together. And I do think there is a history of intersectionality between our struggles. Um, you know, Jews have experienced displacement and oppression throughout most of our history. And so I think there is the connection. Um, it's not one that I want to overplay. I mean, we, you know, we very much benefit today from our perceived whiteness and, but, but I do think at its root, to me, the best of Judaism is about being a people in search of home and being a people that cares about cares for others. Yeah, I think that that's very true. I think it's, a, like you said, it's true about a lot of faiths and coming at it from a different perspective and people with of no faith, too. Baltimore does seem, it is a diverse place where people are trying to find home. And you found home on city council What was it that drove you to run for that kind of office? Because a lot of times, like you said, things get overlooked. People may miss how important those roles are. Yeah, so I've been a public school teacher. I taught in West and in South Baltimore. And for me, it was seeing schools that lacked heat, air conditioning, or drinkable running water. Um, It was 
seeing the level of unmet traumatic stress that our young people grew up in. Um, and then ultimately it was seeing the death of Freddie Gray in police custody. Um, you know, a young man who had been lead pain poisoned at a very young age who grew up in Sandtown where I used to teach in public housing that was crumbling and dilapidated and seeing young people like Freddie, um, that through no fault of their own have been going through just deeply broken systems for years and decades and centuries, um, to me was motivating. And I was proud to be part of a young wave. There were eight of us that ran and won in 2016. Um, we, it was the most turnover our city council had ever seen. And, you know, I was just proud to be a part of it and to, you know, get to take the work I was doing as a teacher and really bring it into city government um, around supporting young people. Um, we've been really involved over the last year and a half in trying to close the digital divide, in helping to, um, we, we passed in 2020, uh, the first law in the country to make Baltimore a fully trauma responsive city. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, so much of my work now is, is about my time in the classroom and about just creating the kind of opportunities that I want my kids and all of our kids to grow up with. Now you talked about ha having a team that got together in 2016 a lot of people who aren't as in tune as you and I, um, their view of politics about making a change, like you said, is about doing it um, for Congress or doing it for the state legislature, uh, maybe. Uh, some people think, oh, the mayor is in charge of everything and forget about city council. What did you want to accomplish that you knew that city council and getting a group together on city council was the way to make... Um, direct change that would help. Yeah, I think like you, you know, I, I see a need to organize, mm -hmm. and that means within the body, and you know, to be able to stand with my colleagues on the issues that I care about. That that to me is what matters. Um, it, it, it matters that we're able to stand behind my colleague Ryan Dorsey and pass a really progressive complete streets ordinance. Um, my colleague, Chris Burnett, who's done amazing work on human trafficking. You know, to, to me, it's about what can we collectively accomplish? And, you know, to me, my, my biggest sort of work in city government has been around ameliorating trauma. There was a school shooting um, in West Baltimore and we held a hearing and we found out that from the young people that were there, that they, they didn't want more of a focus on policing. They wanted us to try to prevent what had happened. And they spoke about not just the violent, the school shooting itself, but the day-to-day -day violence, the experiences with homelessness, with substance use disorder, with just being black in a city that was one of the birthplaces of racial redlining. And they called on us to legislate 
around this issue of trauma. And so we spent about a year working with them to try to um, identify a legislative fix, or at least to begin to fix the centuries of trauma that particularly black, but all communities in Baltimore have experienced. And we came up with a law, the Healing City Act. We named it after Elijah Cummings, Mm -hmm. who had championed this work nationally. He held the first ever congressional hearing on childhood trauma while he was prosecuting President Trump. Um, And then he called us in Baltimore to push that work forward. And he had been a mentor and a friend of mine and sort of put his arms around me. And with these young people, um, we about a year, after about a year of doing a listening tour, we're able to pass this law and we did it. The mayor signed it right there in that high school where that school shooting had taken place. And like I said, it made Baltimore the first city in America to comprehensively legislate trauma-informed care. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what I'm most proud of. And that's what I think city councils can do. They can legislate, they can change the laws. And to me, that's, that's important. We, you know, we, we can talk about changing hearts and minds all we want, but I'm about outcomes. And to me, to reach outcomes, you got to change the laws. You got to change the way resources are allocated. So that's what I try to do. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I talked with uh, Delegate Robin Lewis um, a while ago um, be, be, uh, on my podcast. And I see so many people, including friends of mine, who will attack Chicago, attack Baltimore, attack other cities. Um, at the time when I talked with her, it was um, uh, President Trump had been really terrible to uh, Congressman Cummings. And they'll say things like, oh, there are problems in cities and no one's doing anything. And then you look like 10 paragraphs into the article and they talk about things that you are doing. That not you, it's not all about Zeke Cone, but like that the congressman's doing, that the legislature's doing. There are a lot of... Do you think that there's actually a lot more being done about trauma, about violence, etc., that people just don't recognize and don't see because, I don't know, we're just so blind to it. I absolutely do. I, you know, I think that so many cities like Baltimore were built on white supremacy, redlining, um, that we're now in a situation, same with Chicago, same with Detroit, where, you know, you just have vast disparities. And in America, you have a lot of access to guns. And so the way we often see it play out is violence. Um, And trauma fuels violence and violence fuels trauma. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, this whole conversation about cities and the sort of, you know, archetype of, Chicago or Baltimore as these out of control, lawless places. I don't, I don't think there's much to that. I don't think it's useful. I think what is real is that we have communities that have experienced a lot of pain that are suffer that have suffered that have tremendous capacity 
Um, and that, you know, we, what we need to do as legislators is to repair, mm-hmm. whether that's formal reparations or not, it's, we, we need to make sure that we are balancing the scales and investing in communities that have been intentionally legislatively disinvested. And I think a lot of people, when they see issues that are affecting a city, and you talk about redlining and things like that, you can't just easily fix that because you have to build from where you are. You're not building from scratch. So when you have issues like redlining and you know development that has hurt black and brown communities and separated people, you have to build from where you are. You can't... Um, you can't be starting from zero. So how do you develop policies recognizing, you know, where we are now and that you are not just building from scratch? I think we need an honest account within mm-hmm. our cities in this country of what's been done. I mean, it, it's, you know, this whole conversation around critical race theory that we've seen play out is just so characteristic of how like, a lot of times we're not willing to give the level of rigor and analysis and just have an honest conversation about why we're in the spot that we're in. I think we really need to do that. Mm-hmm. I think in a place like Baltimore, it is impossible to disentangle our current challenges from past and even some current practices that led to disinvestment from black and brown communities. And there needs to be redress. If we want different outcomes, if we want to close any of the gaps around wealth or health or educational outcomes, we have to be intentional about how we legislate, how we do our budgets, and how we invest in communities that have been intentionally disinvested. And to me, we have to be really forward-looking about what kind of cities we want to live in, not just today, but in the future. And, and are those cities where we have vast, gleaming towers standing next to dilapidated public housing projects with lead paint and mold? Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of place I want to pass off to my kids. I, I want a place where everybody has an opportunity and a shot and anybody that's been hurt can, can, can be supported. That's, that's what, that's where I want to live. That's the city the Baltimore I want to grow up in. I want my daughter and son to grow up in. And that's the Baltimore I'm hoping to help build. Now you talked about listening and engagement, but one of the reasons I reached out to you is I think we both share a frustration that people um, might not participate who should. They they comment on Facebook or they send a mean tweet um, and then they don't show up. How do, what do you do? How can we, you know, be good organizers as elected officials to keep people engaged without also having a ton of burnout and exhaustion from having to take on every role possible? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think we are in a pretty bleak time in terms of civic participation. I think that the rise of 
social media, um, while in some ways, you know, it's sort of kind of democratized speech and given platform and all the rest, it's also, as we've seen, been abused and misused and the platforms themselves, the algorithms lead to outrage and in a lot of cases dishonesty. Um, and, you know, and then and there's entire different news media ecosystems. There's a whole set of right wing news that is just pushing a certain narrative. Um, I think that for us, it's about relationships. Fundamentally, it's about how we show up in different spaces and how we show we care for people. Um, you know, I think in a place like Baltimore, you really can't fake it. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, you're either folks know and you build a reputation over a long time and you're always going to have critics. You're always going to have people that dislike you. You know, you'll, you'll have social media trolls and all the rest. Um, but I think to me, the way to move people is going to be through relationships. That's, that's always how I've been able to accomplish work and, and investing in others. I don't know. What about you? How, how, how do you see it? Well, I, that's a good question. So I, when I go to council meetings in person now, it's the same five people who attend. And I remember going to a meeting once and saying, Oh, why are you here? Can I help you? And I'm like, no, we just want to come and see you. Oh, okay. You can come. I was expecting something else. Um, you know, for me, I mostly ignore social media comments and I make sure to go door knocking in my town and attend events because the in-person stuff is more effective than online engagement for the most part, for me. Now that others are very involved online and they've built up a reputation, but to do that invests a lot of time to do it effectively. But I like to knock on doors. So, yeah, you know, people listening, running for council is one of the more important things because I don't know what Baltimore was like before, but in my experience from talking to lots of people, local councils and city councils are often filled by the same people who have been there forever. And a lot of residents kind of think, oh, Zeke, he's been there for 30 years. He's good. We'll just keep him. How do you, why should people run to change that and wherever they are? What, what would be your words to encourage people to take these kind of races seriously for themselves? You know, I think local government is, can be such a powerful vehicle for changing systems. Mm -hmm. I think that for a long time, you know, our generation, I mean, for me, there was sort of this disdain about government. Um, that, you know, it's corrupt, it's terrible. You know, and I will say, now that I'm in it, it is hard. Uh, it ain't, you know, this working ain't easy if you're looking to, you know, have a very calm, relaxed, non-stressful life. You know, think twice. But, if you want to make real impact on people's lives, on the ground, not in some mm -hmm. academic center not in some you know far off place if you want to see change at the very grassroots local level local government is the place to be there is nothing to me more rewarding than 
changing a law or even just getting someone's water bill fixed straightened out. Right. I mean, it's just day to day, the ability to really impact people's lives. I think you can have a profound impact in local government. That's what I love about it. It's what I care about. And to me, this idea that we should all just go into nonprofits and try to, you know, change things based on, um, you know, some foundation and whatever their priority are, are, no, we need to fix our democracy Mm -hmm. and we need to fix it from the bottom up. It's not going to be, you know, just Joe Biden or Congress, right? It's, it's cities like Baltimore, like Detroit, like Flint, like Cleveland, like any of these places, the city that you represent, that's where real change is going to happen. And so I would say to anyone this is hard work, but it's incredibly rewarding work. And if you want to see that, see real impact on people's lives, run for office, run for local office, and you will make a difference. Yeah, I when I hear about big laws being passed in Congress or in state legislatures, it's almost too big to see the details. You, you see a for you can't see the trees in the forest. Um, but I can see that my neighbor got his, you know, alley fixed and that it wasn't that hard to do, but because I was there, we were able to fix it. And I think that makes local government more rewarding and accessible um, than other places. I, the, um, so, but if you're listening, you all, people often think that city government is a machine. Um, you can only get into government if, you know the right people. If someone's interested, where should they start if they want to make a change? I think start by just showing up. Mm-hmm. Show up at your community association. Show up at your church space, your civic space, your synagogue, your mosque. I mean, any any of these spaces. I mean, I think, you know, we've forgotten how to be in community with each other. Right. The pandemic hasn't helped where everybody's literally having to be on their own. But that, to me, is where you start. You know, community association spaces can feel, you know, it's not, like, always the most thrilling. But that's really where where to get your start. I mean, just get to know people. Get to, you know, meet meet your neighbors. Um, To me, that's that's where we start. Well, that, I I agree, that's what I did, and I think that effective people have done that. So with that in mind, if people want to learn more about Baltimore, what is something that they should learn about, um, in addition to following you? Like, what, where do you think is a first step to learning about city government other than showing up to meetings? Like, um, do you have sources online where people might want to, um, check in and follow you or follow others? Yeah, I would say, you know, the we have some good journalists in town, WYPR, which is our local NPR station, it's great. Um, you know, we've got the Baltimore Brew and the Real News and the Sun. Um, I would also say that there's some really good literature, some good books um, that, that I think are important in really understanding the city. The, the Black Butterfly by Dr. Lawrence Brown comes to mind about how our city was shaped through policies that 
privileged white people and really harmed black communities. Um, Not in My Neighborhood by Antero Piatila, also a really good read. Um, I, I will say that, you know, everybody from not, not who's not from Baltimore says, oh, is you know, The Wire, um, you know, what do you think about The Wire? I actually think it's a pretty good show in that, you know, that those guys, you know, Dave Simon was a journalist with The Sun for a long time. And the other guy was a, Ed Burns was a police officer. So they really know their stuff and they're telling some really tough stories about the city and about just institutional breakdown um, and, you know, and about sort of the death of American cities. And so I do think The Wire is worth watching. It's not always popular locally. Right. And it, you know, it sort of has done a number to our reputation in the city. And I will say that, you know, it really it tells a certain story. It's not all of Baltimore. Right. But it is it is an important story. And I think it stands for a lot of cities. So I think The Wire is also a really good show for people to watch. And season four is the best, right? Season four is the best. I also like season two a lot. This whole thing about sort of deindustrialization. You know, we were Beth Steele and the docks and the just labor generally. I mean, we were a manufacturing industry town and then we weren't. And I think that's an important American story as well. Yeah, I think season two does not get enough love, and I appreciate you mentioning that. I do also appreciate that you are working on city issues as recently as a few minutes ago before we got on this podcast. So I, I, I'm really thankful that you took time to talk today. Um, again, if people want to follow you and maybe reach out on, on social media or you know, say, hey, where can I start? Or I'm looking to do this in my town. Where should they follow you to learn more? Sure. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Definitely reach out. ZekeCohen.com is my website. I'm more than happy to support anybody, um, especially young folks, progressive folks who are looking to get in this thing. You know, we, we really have to build movements in our towns, in our cities, in our suburbs. I mean, we, we have to, it's got to start local. And so always happy. And Tony, I really appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's a really good civic service that you're doing. And so I, I want to thank you for just having me on and the, the discussion. And, you know, I think it, if we can inspire some other people to run, to participate i think that's huge well if you're listening please listen and subscribe to past episodes from every state and dc from you know the last couple episodes are from uh, palm beach county and way back to uh, Juneau, alaska so we have a lot of diversity of thought and outreach there's 500,000 elected offices and maybe someone listening will be the next person to run Um, thanks so much Zeke and and good luck in Baltimore I'm not far just outside of Philadelphia so hopefully I can bring my kids to visit the aquarium and enjoy the city soon anytime you do please uh, look me up I will I'll tell you where the the best crab spot is I will look for that and hopefully they'll like it awesome thanks so much Tony thank you man appreciate you when you are